Okie dokie. Good morning. There's a verse that, uh, that uh, we're going to look at this morning, a verse that, uh, that I'm ba- basing this on this morning. It's a verse that uh, I would tell you brings a lot of peace and comfort, but it's also very frustrating, I think. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, and it goes like this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Beautiful verse, huh? So how good are we at uh, being anxious for nothing? Yeah. Aaron's got it. I knew Aaron would raise his hand. I, I, I thought about polling the audience, you know, just really saying, you know, has anybody got this down? And then I, I thought, what would I do if somebody actually raised their hand and said they, they've mastered this? They're not anxious for anything. You know, I'd kind of be stuck between wanting to call them a liar or just feeling totally frustrated because I'm not there. But, you know, it's, it is. It's an amazingly beautiful verse, uh, be anxious for nothing. But it's also one of those that I don't seem to learn that lesson ever. I seem to have to keep coming back to it. Every time life deals something that's frustrating, that's difficult, that's unnerving, that's scary, uh, I have to come back and relearn the lesson. You know, and it's funny, funny that Aaron raised his hand. I was having a conversation with him two weeks ago. We were sitting out there before Tuesday night, and uh, somehow the subject came up that I was giving the message this morning. And I said, yeah, I lose two weeks of my life every time I have to do the message on Sunday. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of a joke, and it's kind of funny. You know, but at the same time, you know, for two weeks before, every night when I lay down and try to go to sleep, all of a sudden, my head fires up and starts, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? What are the points? What are not the points? Is this going to be relevant? Are people going to care? Is it going to make sense? Is it not going to make sense? You know, two weeks, you know, and it's not just at night, but during the day, trying to have a conversation with somebody, and all of a sudden, my head is, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? Is it going to make sense? Are people going to appreciate it? Is it going to, you know, touch, you know, a heartstring, or is it going to matter at all? And, you know, and that's what the two weeks are, you know, for me. But this is the perfect illustration of what I want to talk about this morning. When we're anxious for something, when there is fear, when there is discomfort, when there is anxiety, when there's concern, when, when my head is there, my head is in the future. My head is not in the present moment. My head is not in the conversation that I'm having. My head is worried about something that hasn't taken place and won't take place for a while. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. How do we get to the peace that passes all understanding? You know, I, I capture that in little bits and pieces. I capture it here and there. You know, how do I capture it, as Dave would say, 51% of the time? How do I capture it more often than not? I want to show a, uh, a little video this morning. And it's only about 43 seconds long. So this is a very, very easy little video to watch. So, yes, watch this.
That's the message. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's Madeleine Dubois. Madeleine lives in France. It was her third birthday. And her third wish on her third birthday was to ride the train because she had never ridden a train before. And so this was her getting her third wish of her birthday. But you know what? More than that, that's what lack of anxiety looks like. That's what lack of anxiousness looks like. And we all start the journey at that point. So how is it that we get later in life to the point where we have to keep coming back and claiming verses like Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing, rather than staying in that state where Madeline is, you know, finding that peace... You know, she's probably this tall. That train hurtling toward her probably looked like it's 30 or 40 feet tall and 20 feet wide and and moving at 60 to 100 miles an hour. You know, and yet there's nothing but rapture on her face. Wide-eyed awe, rapture, and expectancy. How do we get to that point? How do we get back to that point? Probably how do we return to the garden would be the, uh, the question. So... That's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning. You know, most of my fear these days, most of my anxiety tends to be based on future events and typically unknown future events. It seems like I've always got two or three things out in front of me that are coming my way that I don't know how they're going to resolve, I don't know how they're going to work out, and I've got a very real vested interest in how they work out and how they resolve. It may be financial, you know, situations, it may be work situations, it may be relationship situations, it could be anything in life, you know, but I worry about, I see them coming, I know they're coming, I don't know what's going to happen with them, I don't know how they're going to resolve, and... That's unnerving to me. So how do I live in a place of peace, a peace that passes all understanding, when I have this unknown future, these unknown elements out there in front of me? You know, and I I think all of us start this life journey exactly where Madeline is. We start this life journey with a sense of expectancy, with a sense of awe and wonder and excitement, just able to embrace life, chase life, do life, whatever it, whatever comes. You know, but somewhere along the way, as we start this journey into adulthood, you know, we get hurt, we get wounded, you know, emotional pain, physical pain, things happen. And little by little, I begin to realize I don't like fear. I don't like pain. I don't like uncertainty. I don't like being unnerved. I don't like being worried about what's coming at me. And I seek to exert some control over it. 
And, of course, that's my ego. The ego wants to control and to know. And so as I start to move through life, I start to move to this place of trying to know everything and control everything. You know, I feel like if I control it and I know it, then I've got some handle on its outcome. I've got some ability to uh, to control its outcome and the outcome as it relates to me. And, you know... So this is this is the path. I start as Madeline, you know, full of awe, wonder, and excitement. And as I move to adulthood, if I'm not careful, I move into a place of more anxiety, more fear, more concern, more distraction, more inability to actually be present. You know, I wrote something down... Um, all of this makes it difficult for us to relax and stay in the present moment. And that's what precisely is what is generating the fear. Our inability to stay in the present moment is the breeding ground for fear. You know, when I am, when I'm being anxious, when I'm letting my concern for the future distract and disrupt my ability to be totally present, totally with whoever I'm in front of, I'm in fear. You know, I'm not here. I am not in life. I am somehow distanced from it. Because the only real opportunity I have to live life, as we talk about so often, is right here, right now, in this moment. And if my head is someplace else, then I am squandering this gift that I have been granted, this gift of life that I've been given. So, you know, I've I've kind of... I've put a number three on this. It, it seems like to me there's always two or three things in front of me coming at me that fill this bill, that you know are things that I really want to know how they're going to resolve. You know, it, it could be issues with kids. It could be issues with work. It could be issues with finances. It can be anything. You know, but it feels like there's always two or three of them out there. And the way I can identify them is because I always think if I can just get past whatever's going to happen here, then I can relax. If I can just get past this point, then I can settle in. Everything will be okay. I'll be at peace. Life will be fine. And then I get past one of them, and life gives me another. There's always, it always feels like there's two or three of them in front of me. So I either come to the point where I make peace with that, with that fact that there's always going to be two or three things in front of me that I can't resolve, that I want to resolve, that I wish I knew how they were going to work out. I either come to peace with that or I stay in a state of frustration, anxiousness, fear, and an inability to, uh, to enjoy my present moment at any point during life. So this is what I want to talk about this morning is, is how we walk through this. I would tell you that it's the ego, my, my human nature, my, my human ego, my human whatever, that tells me that to control and to know is the path to reduce fear. You know, my ego says if I can just totally understand and know what's going to work out, how it's going to work out, then I can plan for it, prepare for it, and I can be in charge of it. I can guarantee that I get the outcome that I so desperately want. 
And of course, little by little, I learned that I can never guarantee the outcome that I so desperately want. And that's where the fear comes from. No matter what I do, I cannot guarantee that life will give me exactly what I want. I can improve my odds. You know, I can eat healthy and go to the gym and I can improve my odds for good health, but I can't guarantee my health. I can go to work every day. I can, I can bust my tail at work every day, be a good employee, and I can improve my odds of getting a promotion, getting a raise, getting recognized, but I can't guarantee it will happen. And little by little, I come to realize that I cannot guarantee anything in my life. I can improve the odds, but I can't guarantee it. How do I make friends with this? How do I find peace with this? And, you know what, I want to read something by Richard Rohr. And he deals with this and he talks about, um, he, he's talking about, you know, this, this desire to control and to know. And he's talking about it from a spiritual point of view. And that's how I want to look at it this morning. I want us to look at this. What ramifications does this have for our physical, for our spiritual journey? You know, this... Uh, inability to relax into the moment, this, this anxiety or fear or anxiousness, you know, what, what is the impact? And if I put my ego in charge, if I put this need to, to control and to know in charge, what impact does that have on my spirituality? So let me start by reading this. This is, uh, this is one of Richard Rohr's uh, daily meditations that got sent out actually a year ago. Um, and he starts with the verse from Isaiah. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are beyond your ways, and my thoughts are beyond your thoughts. That's Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. Within his Judaic tradition, Jesus was formed by the passage above from Isaiah, which teaches humility before the mystery of God. When we presume that we know fully... We can be very arrogant and goal-oriented. When we know that we don't know fully, we're much more concerned about practical, loving behavior. Those who know God are humble about their knowledge of God. Those who really don't know God often speak in platitudes and certainties about which they're not really certain. When we speak of God and things transcendent, all we can do is use metaphors, approximations, and pointers. No language is adequate to describe the holy. As an early portrait of St. John of the Cross illustrates, we must place a hushing finger over our lips to remind ourselves that God is, in the end, unspeakable and ineffable. All of our words, our beliefs, and rituals are merely fingers pointing to the moon. They are never 100% right or perfect. This is the necessary and good poverty of all spiritual language. Remember, Jesus never said, you must be right, or even that it was important to be right. He largely talked about being honest and humble, which is probably our only available form of rightness. Such admitted poverty in words should keep us humble, curious, and searching for God. Yet the ego doesn't like such uncertainty. So it's not surprising 
that the history of the three monotheistic religions in their first few thousand years has largely been the proclaiming of absolutes and dogmas. In fact, we usually focus on areas where we can feel a sense of order and control. Things like finances, clothing, edifices, roles, offices, and who has the authority. In my experience, I observe that the people who find God are usually those who are very serious about their quest and their questions. It is said that asking good questions is a sign of intelligence, but Western culture has spent centuries admiring and promoting people who supposedly have all the answers. So what does it look like if the ego is in charge of our spiritual pursuit? Well, I think it looks something like this. At some point in all of our lives, we decided that we believed in God. We decided that this was something that I truly believed and wanted to pursue in my life. And the typical starting point is this starting point. I come to church. You know, I join in with a group of people that believe, you know, and I start to try to answer my questions. So what do I do? You know, the ego says, okay, I've got to make sure that I'm safe. And the only way the ego knows to make sure it's safe is to have all the answers. So I want to know everything there is to know about salvation. You know, how does it work? When does it work? What do I need to do? What do I need to say? What do I need to believe? You know, what is the path? How do I know that I am safe, that I am saved, that I truly have this thing called salvation? And I study and I go to book studies and I go to Bible studies and I go to church and I listen to the pastor and I collect all the information that I can about salvation until I finally feel a little comfort that I own this subject. You know, I know the answers. Ask me any question about salvation and I can give you the answer. And I start to feel a little more comfortable. Faith. Oh my gosh, what is faith? And then there's that verse in James that says, don't be double-minded. You know, oh my gosh, how do I do this? How do I practice this thing called faith? How do I know if I'm faithful? You know, what is faith? What does it look like? What does it feel like? And how do I know that I'm there? And so I chase the answers and I chase the understanding and I chase this need to just own this subject, just know what this is, what it means to me. You know, what is faith? And once I finally start to get comfortable comfortable with that, you know, maybe I move on to prayer. How does prayer work? Goodness sakes, you know, how do I get God to answer my prayers? I really want my prayers to be answered, and I want to make sure that I'm praying correctly. How do I do it right? How do I not do it wrong? How do I, you know, do it in a way that God will answer? What does he appreciate in prayer? What does he like in prayer? You know, what is the appropriate way to pray? And finally, after I come to church and come to church and go to Bible studies and read my Bible, you know, and listen to the pastor over and over and over, I finally come to the point where I know God. This is my God right here. It's nice. It's neat. It's tidy. I have all the answers. You ask me any question, I can give you the answer. Even those difficult passages of Jesus and those difficult parables, you know, I've got an answer for you. So you ask me and I can tell you. And this is my God. 
You know, and I like this. This is comfortable. There's no fear here. The edges are nice and neat and sharp. You know, it is so easy for me to wrap my arms around this, to embrace this, to hold this, and to know that I own it. I have all the answers. I've got it all right here. Until life deals another sideways blow, and then I realize that Wow, there's just not really that much there. That's not an awe-inspiring God. That's not something bigger than I am. That's not something I can rest in. Yeah, I've got a lot of answers. I've got a lot of mental footnotes about this personality called God and about this relationship, but that's all I've got. And I start to get disillusioned. I want to find the path through this. I want to find the path to a peace that passes all understanding. The ego can't take me there. Control and knowing can't take me there. At some point, I've got to come to the place where I can actually rest and relax in unknowing. I've got to come to the place where I can just be okay with the fact that I can't control the future, I can't own the future, I can't dictate the future, I can't guarantee my future. I can't promise myself that it's going to work out the way I want it to, and it might even work out in a way I don't want it to. So where's the peace that passes all understanding in that? I've got... um, You know, I come from the Baptist church. I was raised in the Baptist church. And Baptist sermons are always three points in a story. I don't don't know if you know that, but a Baptist sermon is always three points in a story. So this morning I have three points. And Madeline is our story. But I'm going to give you a point for free. We're chasing a peace that passes all understanding. You know, I quoted a verse from Philippians 4. Uh... And in the middle of that verse is two words, with thanksgiving. So this this is a freebie. Uh, This is not one of the three points. But be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If I'm presenting my request before God with thanksgiving, I'm grateful. If I'm presenting my request, my anxieties, my frustrations, my desires to God with thanksgiving, I am allowing Him to be in control. I'm grateful. I'm thankful. I'm comfortable. And that is the first step in this process. So, there you go. That's the freebie. So here's point one. I'm chasing a peace that passes all understanding. The first thing I would tell you is this. I've got to learn to enjoy the process. I don't know if this is more of a problem for the males than it is the females, but I can tell you this. I am not attracted to the process. I'm attracted to completion. I have not enjoyed the last two weeks of preparing to give this message today. I am thrilled that in 20 minutes it will be done. 
I like completion. The bad news is, life is not complete until the final completion. And I'm not ready for that completion yet. There's always those two things in front of me. There's always that incompleteness to life. There's always those things that, if I let them frustrate me, they will. There was a uh, there's a young lady that was part of our community for a long time, and at one point she was going through some real difficult moments. And she posted this on Facebook. I want to read you what she posted. And this this is a young lady. I mean, maybe 22 years old at the time that she wrote this, and it blew me away. And she said, I'm trying to stay positive. If you can't find joy in the journey, you won't find it at the end. God has something in store for me. It's just his timing that's hard for me to accept. Wow, from the mouth of babes. You know, a 22-year-old young lady wrote those words, and I remember when I read it, it was like the first time I really recognized how poorly I live in the journey, how poorly I live in the process. You know, we've got a term for it. We call it future tripping. You know, I'm, my head is always trying to plan, prepare. I, I play this game. I call it the what-if game. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say the what-if game? I run through all the possible scenarios for anything that's coming. You know, if they say this, I'm going to say that. If this happens, I'm going to do this. If that happens, I'm going to do that. You know, and I try to run through every possible scenario for everything that life is throwing at me. And I call it playing the what-if game. And it feels kind of satisfying because I feel like I'm planning and preparing for any eventuality. But the truth is, it's me future-tripping. It's me not being present or in the present moment. It's me playing a game with something that I have no ability to control or guarantee anyhow. So it's it's me spending time somewhere that has really no meaning or help to my life. But that doesn't stop me from doing it. So I don't know, like I say, I don't know if, if this is something that the ladies struggle with as well. I know as, as men, we tend to be very goal-oriented and very much, I just need to make this happen and I need to accomplish this. So wherever you land in that, there needs to be a way for me to make peace with the process, to make peace with the journey. I had this idea for a book one time, not that I ever want to write a book, but I, I had this idea, and mainly because it, it it spoke to me, and it was the supposition or the thesis or the theme or the, the thought of the book was this, you know, two couples, couple one, couple two, couple two is given a box, and the box has a fast-forward button and a play button, and at any point, the couple can fast-forward through life until they want to start playing again, okay? So life throws an extremely difficult moment at me. I really, I don't like this pain. I don't like this fear. I don't like this frustration. I don't like what life has given me. All they have to do is press the button, and they can fast forward through life and then hit play once that problem has been resolved, okay? Doesn't that sound like fun? I tried to decide about how long my life would be if I was given one of those boxes. I'm guessing about 10 minutes. 
You know, if I had the ability to fast forward through every uncomfortable moment, I, I, maybe I would sleep at night, but, uh, but my days would be a lot of fast forwarding. You know, and, and that just highlights the problem to me. That's, that's what really makes it real and makes me understand that I have a problem. You know, is this desire to fast forward through anything. How do I get to the point of Madeline? How do I get to the point of seeing this huge 30-foot-tall train hurtling toward me at breakneck speed and see it as exciting and fun and something intriguing instead of something big and scary and to be feared? Okay, learn to appreciate the process. Number two, this is, this is really going to sound maybe out of context, but... Have a ministry. You know, I really think today a lot of our spirituality is almost selfish and self-centered. It's one-on-one. It's me chasing God but trying to do it independently of other people. I don't think we can chase God independently of other people. I think the whole point of the exercise is to bring something to the community, to bring something to the human race, to bring something to the people in our circle. That's the point of my spirituality. And if my spirituality is just my quiet time and my time at church and listening to the pastor and reading the Bible, then it is very one-sided. And it's very much me chasing God but it's missing the point of the exercise. Matthew 5, verses 14 and 16 is just a very favorite verse. It says, You are the light of the world. A town that is built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm called to be a beacon. I'm called to be a light that reflects God's love. And the easiest time for me to get out of my own head, get out of my own fear, is when I am touching someone else instead of thinking about me and what I would like and what I deserve and what I should have and what would make me happy. You know, when I get out of my own self and get into someone else's self, when I give myself away, I find a greater peace. And this doesn't have to be, we don't need to all go be go to Africa and be missionaries. This is not that kind of mission. I don't have to have that kind of ministry. It can be homeschooling. It can be seeing how many people you can make smile throughout the course of your day. It can be staying after a church function and help clean up with everybody else. A ministry can be anything, but it's when I give myself away with no thought of return. And I think that's a critical piece to finding a peace that passes all understanding. So have a ministry. The last one is make room for awe, A-W-E. Make room to be surprised. Make room for something that's bigger than you. I want to 
I want to read something. This is this is an article I found. It's uh, it was titled "Why Scientists Say Experiencing Awe Can Help You Live Your Best Life." Maybe you felt it standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon. Maybe it happens when you think about the vastness of space, or glance up at the sky and marvel at a supermoon. Or maybe you feel it when you see someone offer up a seat on a crowded train to another individual they've never met. The emotion is awe. And psychologists say it can play an important role in bolstering happiness, health, and our social interactions. And it may actually have played a long role in how and why humans get along and ultimately cooperate with each other. People feeling awe focus more of their attention outward and value others more in social interactions. That's a quote by Jennifer Steller, Ph.D. One important distinction between awe and other emotions like inspiration or surprise is that awe makes us feel small or feel a sense of self-diminishment in science speak. And that's good for us, Steller, Steller explains. We spend a lot of our time thinking about what's going on in our world and what's affecting us directly. Awe changes that, making us see ourselves as a small piece of something larger. Feeling small makes us feel humbled, thereby lessening selfish tendencies like entitlement, arrogance, and narcissism. And feeling small and humbled makes us want to engage with others and feel more connected to others. All of that is important for well-being. Data from a 2018 study that both Stellar and Gordon Gordon worked on found that individuals who reported experiencing awe more often in their daily lives were rated more humble by their friends. And after participants experienced awe as part of the study by watching awe-inspiring videos, they acknowledged strengths and weaknesses in a more balanced way, and they were more likely to recognize the role of outside forces, such as luck or God, or others in their personal accomplishments, such as getting accepted into a university, compared with individuals who had not watched these videos. These effects of feeling small, feeling humbled, and the desire to connect to others is thought to be a part of the reason over the course of human history mankind has formed groups, societies, and lived collectively. The idea is that all makes us more likely to go along with what we need to do to maintain social harmony. Oh, how do I find it? How do I get it? You know, I, I, I just, it's, it's so rare that I chase that experience anymore. You know, as adults, how often do we chase that experience of feeling small, of feeling humbled? of going out and looking at the night sky, looking at the stars, the vastness of space, or whatever it is, just trying to see life in a new way and in a way that really changes and excites me. You know, in your bulletin, there's a picture. It's a picture of a seesaw. And one side of the seesaw says mystery, the other says mastery. Okay? Ego is mastery. Ego is me seeking to control and to understand. Mystery is awe. Mystery is leaving it in God's hands, being surprised. So where should I place the weight? What is the important side? 
what what's the side of the seesaw that I should be chasing, putting the weight on? The seesaw should be flat. You know, it should be balanced. I should chase life with abandon. You know, we've got a saying. Um, it says, pray as if everything depends on God and work as if everything depends on me. That's a balance, okay? I, I, I give life everything I can give it. I chase it as hard as I can chase it. I invest in it as hard as I can invest in it. I try and guarantee the best possible future, the best possible outcome for me and the people that I love and my community. And yet, in the end, I realize I can't guarantee, I can't control, I can't dictate, I can't do anything to know that the outcome is going to be what it's going to be. And so I have to rest in God. And not this God. You want to know what God looks like? You know, this, I think, wait, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. So now I see things like puzzling reflections in a mirror. You know, when I look at God, it's kind of like looking at this. You know, I, I see some things that I kind of identify. I, I see some reflections, some things that I understand. But I can't really wrap my head around this. I can't really own this. I can't tell myself that, you know, my ego can't tell me that I control this, own this, or understand everything that I'm seeing here. And yet, it's, it's beautiful. I recognize that there is truth here. I recognize that there is beauty in God. I see a light reflected from Him, even if I can't understand Him completely. And I need to be able to rest and relax in that and have an understanding of God that is maybe not satisfying to the ego because I don't have a complete understanding, but it's reality. There's some verses... In your inside the bulletin, I just want to read a couple of them real quick. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. That's from Job 11. And we have already read Isaiah 53. That uh, was part of the Richard Rohr thing. Then in Ephesians three seventeen through 19, Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. 
Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Yeah, it's a beautiful sentence there at the end. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. You know, as long as I'm chasing God with my mind, I fall short. If I chase him with my experience, I can know him. I can enter into relationship with him. But I have to enter into it with experience and not just with knowledge. You know, I want to finish by reflecting back on Madeline. And we won't show the video again. But I want you to think about what you saw there. I want you to think about there there was a clue in there as to what made it possible for her to chase life, to be so inspired, to be so excited about this big chunk of metal hurtling down upon her that's available to all of us. The peace that gave her the ability to trust and be comfortable in that situation was a person we don't see, her father. Her father was standing right there with her the whole time. She knew she was safe. She knew she was in good hands. When it came time to board the train, she lifted her hand to take his. And that was all she needed to face life, to face her fears, to face this big, ugly monstrosity hurtling down upon her, to find excitement in it instead of fear, was the hand of her father. We have that same father. We have our father in heaven. You know, what do I reach for when life gets scary? You know, for a lot of years I reached for my addiction. You know, sometimes we reach for food. Sometimes we reach for shopping. Sometimes we reach for a lot of different things when life gets scary. But if I reach for the hand of my loving father, I find the courage to walk through. I find the peace that passes all understanding. And I find my place in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are that kind of God. Thank you that you are always there, your arm, your hand is always extended, and that all we have to do is just reach out and take it and find our way through. Give us the courage to live in the unknowing. Give us the courage to see it as a sense of excitement and and awe rather than an opportunity for fear. And let us uh, chase you in that way. And we thank you, we love you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.